Hello everyone and welcome to an exclusive podcast brought to you by Vijay Hemonk. Today, we are excited to be reporting on the most recent updates in the field of MDS presented at the ASH 2021 annual meeting. In this session, David Selman from the Moffitt Cancer Centre and Andrew Brunner from the Massachusetts General Hospital will initially discuss the impact upcoming trials will have on the treatment landscape and advances in molecular classification and risk classification to personalised treatment. They then will talk on targeting splicing mutations in MDS, as well as whether cell therapies would be as prominent in MDS as in other hematological malignancies. And now, pass you over to the experts for today's MDS session with Vijay Hemal. My name is uh, David Salman from Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. Uh, it's a privilege to be with my close colleague, Dr. Bruner from Massachusetts General Hospital. So maybe I'll start off with a question to you. I, I know you're giving a, an oral presentation in high-risk MDS. So where are we at? Are we going to have new treatments? We've had some setbacks. Lo- love to get your thoughts. I hope so. I mean, I think the exciting thing in MDS, especially in the higher risk space, is that we have a number of agents that have entered into these larger phase three level of studies. And I think that uh, one of the challenges in MDS is that there are a lot of things that we need to change. Mm -hmm. We need better response rates. Mm -hmm. We need more durable responses. We need better overall survival. And it's hard to know uh, at this moment where each of these agents may play a best role. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is that we learn from each of these trials and we're able to uh, identify strengths of uh, any of these agents, uh, particularly if there really does seem to be a strength compared to monotherapy, mm-hmm. um, and then utilize that to really develop a new approach to MDS because what we're lacking is any change in our approach. We basically have azacitidine monotherapy mm-hmm. and we have a transplant decision point for most pa- for some patients. Yeah. Um, and so I think that what's exciting about some of these agents is that they don't have overlapping toxicity. You mm-hmm. can see them moving into even triplet based mm-hmm. therapy mm-hmm. Um, and there seems to be varying uh, characteristics of each uh, drug combination that would have value for MDS care um, and so I'm excited to see where some of the larger phase studies show that yeah and I think your your, your point I'm you know, really interested in, in, in hearing the the panther you know presentation which again is another setback of course for us but how does how does azacitidine decide to be long-term outcomes in the setting of potential salvage therapies of course we have venetoclax off-label, you know, we're maybe more aggressive with allogeneic transplant. You know, is there a really key insight that we can look into, even from the control arm, that will, will, will help shape that? I think I, I completely agree with you. We have, you know, at least, you know, three exciting agents and, 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 and potentially some others in the pipeline. You know, how do these, these therapies work together? I feel like appropriately we need anything and everything is jumped into very large phase three trials. But is, you know, can we turn on innate and adaptive immunity, you know, together? Can, you know, can, you know, how, what is the synergy um, with, with each of these agents? What is the tolerability? Is there new safety signals elsewhere? But, but I think, as you said, I mean, we are really desperate to have something that is not an inadequate standard of care therapy. Um, and I think, you know, I think there's some, you know, really interesting data to be pre- presented, at least with the three agents that are, you know, farthest along. And, and actually, I think it may be a little bit interesting shift. There's some CPS 
CX, uh, you know, studies yeah. uh, looking at frontline therapy for fit patients to transplant. I think that's its own separate, you know, uh, discussion. What is the depth of response, which with inadequate therapies we've not been able to report, but can we start to use MRD, maybe MRD by sequencing, um, you know, something that, you know, uh, you know, a lot of us have, have a lot of interest in. Absolutely. I think that, you know, one of the highlights of this, uh, Ash, was the advancement, ongoing advancement of the use of molecular classification and risk stratification, and hopefully that translates into understanding patient outcomes, uh, which patients might be most beneficial for certain therapeutics or others. And I think that one of the uh, questions that I hope, regardless of how the trials go in high-risk disease that we learn, is suddenly we will have a new, modern cohort of patients treated with MDS, uh, with more sequencing, with features that, you know, we didn't have 15 years ago when many of the prior studies were done. And so hopefully this at least lets us understand who may benefit from a different treatment approach and really where are therapies that are borrowed from AML, for instance, there may be certain subgroups that are most uh, likely to respond. And should we really be treating those patients differently if they have AML-like mutations compared to uh, other MDS uh, subgroups? Yeah, no, completely agree. I guess maybe we could we could probably switch gears. So maybe to stick with somewhat higher risk in this group of patients, you know, they fail our one standard of care therapy. They're, you know, they're, they're past azacitidine, decitabine. You know, what are our next be best options? Unfortunately, it's rare to have targetable mutations. You know, IDH1, 2 is about half the prevalence. NPM1 and FLT3 essentially don't occur. But but what about splicing? You know, splicing is 50% of, of, you know, of our patient populations for main splicing targets. I know you're you're involved in some I think exciting trials focused on this group. Where, where do you think we can go from just anemia improving to maybe ideally having disease modification? Absolutely. You know I think that uh, splicing targeting splicing is so enticing in MDS because yeah. most patients have it. Unlike the five percent or, yeah. or what we saw this morning one percent with flip three mutations. <laughs> exactly. You know so if you're looking for that needle in a haystack for a targetable mutation, it's so hard. I think that we're really moving forward in understanding how splice creates vulnerabilities in cells. Mm -hmm. And I think that the trials that we've had so far have demonstrated, A, our ability to start targeting splicing. So we are able to introduce agents that do alter splicing, which um, I think as an intermediate pharmacodynamic uh, dynamic, uh, endpoint, we are seeing some activity. But then how do we move that to understand those interactions and how we can actually target splicing the same way we might target an IDH-mutated cell? Because I think that's the overall goal, right, would be to try to identify this uh, abnormal splicing uh, phenotype and then target it with perhaps multiple agents to kind of uh, take it uh, hold of this vulnerability and really kill these cells. And so we've worked with a number of agents, both that target directly the spliceosome, also that target some downstream effects of uh, splicing. I have a poster I'm presenting tonight looking at how ATR signaling is involved in splicing and can we uh, take advantage of the DNA damage response to actually um, also kind of uh, look at these synthetic uh, vulnerabilities. So um, I think we're still fairly early. Um, I think we've at least shown that we can alter splicing with splicing, splicing modifying agents. Um, and how we combine these really will be kind of the next step and hopefully be able to see synergy in targeting these cells. No, I think that's great. Yeah, I think, you know, you know from, from my standpoint, you know, we still have, you know, half of patients that may not have that targetable mutation. And like you said, we're still in our, in our infancy, you know, uh, you know, CAR-T and other novels, you know, IO therapy has led to a paradigm shift. Uh, 
in, in patients with other hematologic malignancies, uh, you know, can we get there? A lot of trials are in AML, and unfortunately, I think MDS is being left out too much. Um, I really hope, you know, now that we've established some safety, and a lot of the targets, there's a high degree of overlap between MDS and AML, maybe a sicker, older group of patients. But as we understand more, I'm really hoping that, say, by ASH of next year, we're starting to see dedicated cohorts for some of our cars, whether or not it's 33, 123, CLL1, or others, and really open up some other avenues, you know, for our patients, uh, because we need to get get responses, particularly, you know, when they failed our, our standard of care. Absolutely. I think the, the uh, appeal of cellular therapy, um, which also, you know, transplant you could put under that umbrella, sure. um, is that it is a little agnostic of the mutation profile to some degree of the cells that it's attacking. You have to be able to identify them and eradicate those malignant precursors, but um, the uh, it's less dependent on intracellular activity. I think, case in point, TP53 mutated MDS, which has a lot of overlap with AML, you know, that is a space where we need a dynamic paradigm shift. And it is, remains, has been, and remains such a challenging uh, group of diseases. Do some of these immuno-oncologic therapies have a better role in targeting TP53 mutated disease because of that um, different mechanism? Yeah, I think, you know, I think I agree. I think maybe, you know, you know, in conclusion, really, we're going to have to personalize our care, both frontline salvage settings. I think it's an exciting time in that there are options for trials for most of our patients, you know, independent of the, you know, COVID pandemic. I think we really need to highly support the recruitment on all of these studies so that we can really change the standard of care and quality of life for our patients. Any other thoughts uh, in conclusion? Uh, I think that, you know, for uh, what, I, what ASH 20 2021 to me symbolizes an MDS is an excitement for the future and a desire to push uh, what has been the standard of care and change it. Um, and I think that there are a number of efforts from many angles that really seek to provide definitive uh, evidence of that change. And if you look at that number of phase three trials that are finally moving through, I think that really symbolizes how MDS uh, has a huge amount of need, but people are working hard to make that a uh, different uh, treatment. Well, thanks for talking with me. Yeah, great to see you. Thank you to our speakers and to you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and subscribe on your favourite podcast app, including Apple, Podbean and Spotify, so we can continue to deliver our expert-led content directly to you. Follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk to join in the conversation and visit VJHemonk.com for the latest updates in the field.